So Genesis chapter 1, and, and we're going to take a look at this book. And, but before we do that, let me ask you a, a question here. Have, have any of you ever tried to uh, build something without the, the blueprints? You ever tried to put something together? Maybe it was a Christmas toy or something like that without the directions. And worse than that, on top of not having the blueprints and maybe not on top of having the directions, you just lack the skills. You, know, you, you weren't a mechanically inclined person. You ever been there? Recently, my uh, mind was jogged of a, a time way back in my, in my life. It was back in the days when I was in the Cub Scouts. Back in the Cub Scouts, what we have annually is you have the annual Pinewood Derby. And, well, the Pinewood Derby came up for me and uh, for my dad. But there was a problem. As my mom tells me, when we went out and we got the block and we got the, the wheels and the other things that you can put the wheels on, there was something that was very important that we lacked. And that was the directions of how to put such a car together. And then you add on top of that, uh, you added a, a man who uh, I love him dearly, but uh, he lacked the skills. And that was my dad. Uh, we were not the handyman kind of folks. And still to this day, I'm not, am I, Elizabeth? Remember, we were the kind of folks that kept the handyman in business. OK, we were that, those kind of folks. But dad, knowing that I so wanted to be in this Pinewood Derby, he gets out the block and he, he cuts it and he begins to shape it. And I, I can actually remember myself still being down there in the basement and underneath that one light bulb that we had there that was working on that. And uh, and uh, as I, I watched him work and really I did not really do much in it. You know how that goes, don't you? You just kind of watch your dad do the things. And so he went through and he, he had it cut and he shaped it and he slicked up the wheels and trying to thinking that I would make it faster. And so we finally got it done and we we painted it and uh, we painted it. Uh, we didn't go real, uh, you know, too fantastic with it. We went basically like that. That's not actually it. Uh, I wish mine one looked like that, but it was white and it had uh, some red uh, racing stripes. on. It was kind of a classy look. And so the day the Pinewood Derby came and we took uh, my car there and then my race heat finally came up. And uh, so the four cars are put on there and the, the expectation and the excitement is building. And all of a sudden they, they count it down and boom, the gates come down and out shoot three Pinewood Derby cars <laughs> flying down. And lo and behold, coming down the track ever so slowly kind of reminded you of a Model T taking a short Sunday stroll out in the country comes my white classic little red pinstripes Pinewood Derby car. It was sad and pathetic. And there was one disappointed boy and one disappointed dad who felt so bad. And lo and behold, I, I did get, I must tell you this, I did get the award for the best looking. And I think it was a, I think it was a sympathy vote. <laughs> now, I still remember this day is coming out. This lady comes and tells me, says, uh, I really don't like white on cars, but it looks real great on yours. I'm like, what? Why? Tell me that. But there was a problem. And the problem was, is we didn't have the blueprints. We didn't have the directions. 
We didn't have the resources either, the skills or the empowerment to make something as actually as aerodynamic as that even looks. Mine didn't look that way. Mine was more of a wedge. Just go ahead, let it out. There's a problem today. There's a problem in our world. There's a problem in our churches. And when it comes to marriage, there's people that aren't looking at the blueprints. They may know them, or they don't know they're there. I don't think some people are even aware of them. But they're not looking at the directions from the designer. Is how marriage is to look and marriage is to be. And they lack the resources and the skills and the empowerment to make marriage what it ought to be. And because of that, there's sadness and there's hurt, there's destruction. In families and in marriages, in our churches. It's devastating. I bring you this message today because it lays heavy on my heart. If you were to go into my office and you were to open up my prayer journal and you were looking in the section where I'm praying for marriages, you would see a list that is way too long. And those are just the marriages that I have some kind of connection with. They don't speak of grants. They don't speak of yours. They don't speak of all the ones I don't know of. It's sad. Because that's not what God intended. And this problem and this sadness is a result of a few things. Very general reasons. It's a result of that people do not understand or they're not following the blueprints. Or two, they lack the skills to carry out the blueprints. That is, they are not depending upon, or one, they're not taking God's word and living it out by faith. And in the process of that, they're not depending on the one who empowers us to live out the blueprints. And that is God himself through his Holy Spirit. So my goal this morning is not necessarily to give you a lot of how to's of marriage this morning. My goal this morning is I want to take us back to the beginning, Genesis, book of beginnings. And I want to give you a vision for what marriage was meant to be. I just want to cast that that vision out there. What does it look like? What is purpose? And then just mention how we begin to once again live this, this out in our lives, in our churches. I want you to look with me to Genesis chapter 1. We've got to look at God's design for marriage. In Genesis chapter 1, we start here. You would think we might not start here if we're talking about marriage. You think we directly go to Genesis 2, but we've got to start in Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 1 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The reason I'm starting here is before we can understand the blueprints of marriage, we've got to understand the purpose and everything that God created for himself. We've got to understand the purpose of why God created us and why God instituted marriage. And the root of that and understanding that starts here in Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. And there's two words that I want us to see. Because see, when the original readers would have read this, two words that would have stuck out to them would be the image of God and His likeness. When they would have read those words, they would have understand that this meant that we were to relate to God because we are made in His likeness. In the Hebrew that underlines the word likeness, it carries an idea of representative, but even more so, it carries this idea of being similar to. And that is unlike anything else that God created. He created us in His likeness. I believe one reason is that we might relate to Him. That we might have relationship with Him. Have a oneness, we might say, with God. They also would have understood that we are meant to represent and reflect God because He made us in His image. Image, very similar to the word likeness, but has a a greater uh, force of being representative of. Not identical to, but representative of. And so when we see these words, and when we understand this, we see that we are to relate to God because we're in His likeness, and we're to represent and reflect God because we are in His image. And how this connects, it connects by the context Because in these verses, we begin to see the formation of the family. And then in Genesis 2, which follows, we'll see even more closely uh, the outworking of marriage. But in this, you see that we are created male and female for a reason, to reflect God. Not necessarily in their gender, but in two personhoods who are in relationship with God. Let me show you this. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Who's he talking about? Well, I think let us refers to the triunity of God. I don't buy the other arguments. He's speaking of the triunity of God. And who's involved in a triunity? Well, you have God the Father, you have God the Son, you have God the Holy Spirit. There's one in essence, three in persons. What do you have in marriage? You have a husband, you have a wife, and when you relate to God, you have God, the Holy Spirit that exists in marriage. We reflect God. What do you have in family? Well, you have a mom, you have a dad, and you have a mom and dad. If they're as they go out, they are fruitful and they multiply and they produce children. You have a threeness, yet one. It reflects the image and the likeness of God. As mom and dad, as you procreate children, you reflect The glory of God and His creative power and ability to reproduce and to make. 
You reflect God's image. What I want you to understand and what I want you to see, and as we open this up, it's about God's glory and about His image and His likeness that marriage and the family is to be about. It's about His purposes. Even within the family, there's an opportunity we're afforded, an opportunity to reflect the character of God and His actions. See, what I want you to see and I want you to understand is that the purpose of marriage is not foremost and first about our happiness in marriage. Yes, happiness should come. But let me tell you, it only comes when we make God's glory first. Marriage is first and foremost theological. It's first and foremost about God and representing his image and his likeness and his glory in this world. Through marriage and through family, we have great opportunities to reflect the character and actions of God. Through marriage, you have the opportunity to reflect unconditional love to your spouse and to your children. You have the opportunity to reflect the faithfulness and the commitment of God. You have the opportunity to express the grace and mercy and the forgiveness of God upon those spouses and those children when they fail you and when they let you down. Through God's process of marriage and the family, you're going to experience the greatest process of sanctification you've ever experienced in your life. The greatest process of being set apart to the holiness of God comes through marriage and family. You learn to grow in your relationships. You learn to communicate and and you have the opportunity to communicate as God would have us communicate with our spouses. Here's my point. If you don't come away from anything from this message today is that you come away with this, that marriage is first and foremost about the glory of God. Amen. It's about his glory because he is great. He is awesome. And as Isaiah says, we were created for his glory. And so marriage and family are created to reflect the glory of God. Amen. That's where you, amen. That's where you feedback. All right. Don't go sleep on the day. This, this is a message. There's not one of you that don't need it. It's in here. I don't care if you're married or not. You need it. You want to know why marriages are so attacked in this world? You know why Satan is all intent on destroying marriages and family? Because it reflects the image and the likeness of God. It reflects his glory. And so Satan is is determined to destroy marriages and families. So sit up today. Listen. And pray as you hear this message. And do not let Satan take a foothold in your home and destroy and seek to deface the image and the likeness of God in your life and in your family and your marriage. Amen. Let's turn over to Genesis chapter 2. Because as we look at this, we must understand... God's marriage is, if this marriage is created in God's glory, we need to understand that how, who designed it. And, and I, what I want you to see next is that marriage is God's institution. Let me repeat that. It's God's institution. Not the government's. 
Look at this. Look at me in this text. Jesus 2, verses 18 through 22. Verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, look at these God-initiated verbs. The Lord God said, verse 21, So the Lord God caused. And in verse 22, the Lord God fashioned. That is Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. The Creator God, the covenant-keeping God with Israel and with us in the New Covenants. It is he who takes the initiative to shape men and women and, and bring them together in this marital relationship. It's, it's his directive and his initiative for this institution of marriage. So we need to listen close to his word. Let me, let me make something real clear to you. Marriage is not about some piece of paper. And marriage is not about what the legislator decides. Okay? And I'm not calling for some great political action. I think we should take advantage of the freedoms that we have in Christ. But I want, I want us to understand that our understanding for marriage comes from God, not what someone says somewhere else. Got it? Just remember that. So he says here in verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. What's awesome to know, if you go back and you read the whole context, up to this time, over and over, you can mark it in your Bibles, he says, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then all of a sudden, verse 18, he comes and he says, it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. Why is that? It's because it was a part of God's design. God designed us in the beginning to have this for man and woman, to have a need for companionship. Man was not built to be self-sufficient. Man was designed and he was built for relationship and partnership. And so God says this, he says, I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now, a helper is to be a support. It's one who comes alongside of you and, and encourage and assist to be your, your counterpart of sorts. Let me just stop right here. Too often, this has been taken, meaning that the woman is to be subservient or inferior. Let me just make it clear. That could be no further from the truth. That is not at all the idea that God's word is, is hitting on right here. Matter of fact, of 19 times... Or actually, 19 times this word helper is used. 16 of them, it is used of God and of His help for man, particularly of Israel. It's a good term. Now, it is true, ladies. Us men need all the help in the world. All right? Somebody, I know some of you are just thinking that. You're probably writing it on your paper. My man needs help. My man needs help. In reality, why? It, obviously, because... Of, of Adam was created first and then Eve is speaking of his helper. But in reality, in greater application, in more relative terms, this this applies to both of us. We both need help. We, we both need companionship. And so as next and as you'll see in verses 19 through 20, as God brings starts bringing the animals through, because God has already told us in verse 18, verses 19 through 20, he starts bringing through the animals and and, and Adam is, is naming them. And, and you had to, he had to be thinking and it had to be going through his mind. No doubt he was he had this thought is, where's my mate? 
What, what, what corresponds to me? Because as he looked at nothing, nothing corresponded. Nothing was a, a helper to him. So verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh at that place. So he, so he took out took out a rib from, from the woman or, or side. Where there's a great debate about what it is. It doesn't matter. He took out a part of man and, and he used that and he, and he, and he was going to make that. He took his flesh, his bone, and he took it out. He used the same DNA, the same stuff that man was created. He used it for the woman. Just another hint at the equality to man. Now, I believe there's roles and functions within marriage and family. But there is absolute equality between a man and a woman. And guys, we need to remember that. They are just as equal with you in quality and worth and value. In fact, the Puritan Matthew Henry wrote, not made of his head to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, not out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. I like that. So she is equal, yet she is also distinct. Because look what look. And I love this part. You're going to like this. Verse 22. This is good stuff. So the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. This word fashioned is, is neat. Okay? I, I like to think he took dirt and put us together, you know? Us guys are dirt balls. And uh, that's not theologically correct. I mean, don't go far with that. But, but he takes here with a woman... And he takes of the same flesh and the DNA of a man and he fashions her. And literally this word means to construct or to, to build. And it carries the idea of going into intricate details to construct. It's as if, yes, yeah, she's of the same flesh and of the same blood. But you know what? I'm going to fashion her. And there's going to be some intricate details. And so I'm going to put some different things in there. I'm going to put some curves in there. And I'm thankful for curves. Okay. So there's a physical aspect to it. That's all right. It's good. God created this. We can enjoy that. All right. Have you read Song of Solomon? All right. So he put curves in there and enjoy that in the right context. But I also think it has to do not just physically, but emotionally. And inside her, he made her difference. And that's good. It's a good thing. And I think with this combined with the term suitable from verse 18, which carries the idea of opposite, but, but like, denoting a corresponding counterpart, God, God created man and woman. He created them. They're different, but they're, they're, they're alike. They're distinct and unique, needing each other in a complementary way. It's kind of like this. Here's, maybe this is an example. The husband typically asks, what's it take to get this done? A wife asks typically, how will it make them feel if we handle it that way? And that's good. In my own life, I've experienced that. I'm like, hey, honey, we need to get this done. And she can come alongside of me and remind her, yeah, but Matt, if you do it that way, how is that going to make that person feel? And as I go down the road, I look, oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for a woman with that insight. Because it saved me. I don't know how many times it saved me. Right, Grant? Has it not saved you? Yes. 
nod. She's not here, but we're all taking notes whether you nod. All right. And so so God fashions the woman and then look what he does next. He brought her to the man. You ever wonder why we have certain traditions in our marriages? God, the father takes Eve and he brings her to the man. What a wonderful picture that is for us. So imagine, put yourself in Adam's place. Imagine you are groggy eyed. You're coming out of this divine anesthesia that uh, has been sent and and your your eyes are waking up. And then all of a sudden, God brings down the aisle of of the garden of uh, and and here comes this, this. He doesn't even know what to call her yet. But but he says and then he says this. And a man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. It's a that's a. That's a traditional Hebrew formula for speaking of close relationship or kinship. It's it's the same as saying we're we're of the same blood of sorts. Okay, she shall be called woman, Hebrew ish. And uh, because he was taken out of man, Isha. That is his name is embedded in hers. Now, we don't really capture the real sense of this, this, this verse when we read it here. The real mean, I think, I think the, the New Living Translation does it well. It puts it this way. So again, imagine the, 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 God is bringing the woman and here's what he says. At last, Adam exclaimed, she is part of my own flesh and bone. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. He's excited. We miss it. Actually, there's a Hebrew poetry aspect to this also. What, what, what Adam is doing is he's saying, yes, at last. No giraffes, no elephants, but a woman. And she is wonderful. She is fashioned. She has curves. I love it. This is awesome. Thank you, God. Now, that's what I do every morning when I wake up next to Elizabeth. What are you laughing for? I'm kidding. Uh, Men, we should treasure our wives because they've been fashioned uniquely. And we're going to talk about something real briefly in a moment, what's caused problems. I realize sin is involved now. But we need to treasure our wives and their uniquenesses. And so, too, wives, you need to treasure your husband's uniquenesses. Now, so God brings this woman, but then he closes with this in verses 24 through 25. And that is he gives some very foundational principles that this marriage ought to operate within. He says this in in Genesis chapter two, verse 24, for this cause, that is, I, I think it's. There's a lot wrapped up in this. Obviously, I think in a greater sense, there's for the cause of God's glory and his image and his likeness. Perhaps in the more immediate, that is, here he is, God bringing this helper to you. He's, he's, he's bringing her to you. So for this cause, uh, to, to enjoy this help, to, to enjoy this suitability amongst each other, he says this, and he sets it out for all time. He says this, he says, A man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And a man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed. Let me just go through this quickly for you. The first principle is this. Marriage requires severance from all competing equal or all competing relationships. 
In, in, in uh, history, typically uh, in, in biblical history, the, the woman actually did go to live with the man and his family. But the principle is still the same. The principle is still the same for us all that there there should be both. I believe on a man's part and a woman's part, there should be this separating from mom and dad. And a clinging, a forming of a new unit that's going to magnify the glory of God. There's this severance that that must take place. And so those of you guys who are a little overly bonded with mom, you, you need to cut that out. Those of you ladies who are making other relationships, maybe it's your best friend from college or someone else, a priority or or your sister, your family, a priority over your husband. You need to cut it out. It's not going to work. For some of us, it's even the emotional ties that need to be cut from mom and dad. We have emotional patterns and ways of dealing with conflict that we've picked up from mom and dad. And we we take it with us and say, hey, this is how they did it. So this is the way I'm going to do it. Let me tell you, it doesn't all work. You need to cut it out. It needs to be severance. Second principle is marriage requires lasting commitments. Notice this. It's not to be till disagreements do us part or other interests do us apart. But it's it's to, to cleave. Literally, the word itself carries the idea to stick to. It does. Look at it in, in the Hebrew. It's the idea of to stick to. That is, she shall stick to his wife. And, or she, she shall stick to her, her husband. We could put it both ways. In fact, the Greek translation, which is called the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew, the word that it uses in the Greek to translate this is, uh, is actually a word for glue. It's actually the word for glue. And that's what I like to think of, of, of our marriages, that they're, they're supposed to be stuck, not by some cheap glue that you buy at the dollar store, but by the best brand of super glue. All right. That's what it's supposed to be stuck by. There's to be a, a permanence in, in marriage. It's not that we smother our spouses, but the idea is that we are bound together in a covenantal, covenantal relationship. There's a binding, there's a bond that is strong. A binding that is a covenant that is, is ordained by God. Now, I, I'm going to just stop for a second because I realize the world that we live in. I realize the cause of hardness of hearts and that divorce has happened. And so I want to uphold grace in the midst of this. But right now we're going back to the, the vision and, and the ideal and the blueprint that God gave us. It's important to understand why this is here, because this is something that that Christ himself reiterated even after the fall. He said this in Mark chapter 10. He repeats this very verse. He says, God made them male and female. For this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. And he says this, what therefore God has joined together. I want you to see that this is a work of God of bringing two people together. Let no man separates. Don't let us separate it. Paul himself repeats the same verse. And then he adds this in verse 32. He says, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ in the church. He repeats what's said here in Genesis, but he adds this. He says, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church. I want you to know that your commitment to each other is once again about the glory of God. It's about the covenantal relationship that Christ has with us. 
It's a picture of what Christ has done, that he has come down to this earth and he's taken on a spouse. He has made us who believe the church, his bride. He's died for their sins. He's been buried. He's risen again. And he is in a a covenantal, lasting new covenant relationship with us as the church. And our marriages have an opportunity every day to preach that gospel to a watching world that is lost and don't know, does not know of it. You've got to understand that, folks, that marriage, your marriage has the opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though we struggle and even more so because we struggle with sin now. That's an amen. That's a that's a good thing. It's powerful stuff, folks. Now, look what happens. As you leave and as you cleave, and it says, for this cause, uh, they, they shall and they, they will become, they shall become one flesh. That is, there's a new oneness. There's a new family unit. You're, you're no longer two separate bodies. But you, you're, you're one coming together. It doesn't mean you're not distinct. It doesn't mean that you don't have your, your different strengths and your, your abilities and personalities you bring. But you bring those things together and you, you begin to operate in a new oneness with those distinctions. Once again, reflecting the image and the likeness of God. By oneness, I don't mean uniformity. Uniformity is what happens in manufacturing plants. Men and women are not to be identical, but they're to be one. This is the beauty of marriage. It's the beauty of the church, by the way. We all come together as one with our different abilities, our different spiritual gifts, working in unity and one for the glory of God. Amen. It's a oneness. Now look what happens here. Verse 25. As you develop this leaving, as you cleave and as you work towards oneness, it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. It's, it's well, the image that comes to my mind. And don't tell my daughter I'm going to tell you this, and I'm not going to tell you which one did this, but I remember when one of them was real young. Um, I forget where she was coming out of. It was the bathroom or something. But I remember her just coming through uh, the living room and she was yelling and she was going, I'm naked, I'm naked, I'm naked. And, and I just cracked up because what was on her, like, you know, we would never do that. At least I, I hope you would never do that. But there was just this innocence and this safety and this, this openness of her to be able to come out and, and to be able to do that. And that's, the, that's what we should see here. And, and this isn't just physical aspect. Yes, it's, it's, it's physical, but it's, it's, it's emotional, mental. See, there, it, it, as one person describes it, it says there's no hidden areas, no hang-ups, no embarrassment, no fear. There's total transparency. The complete opposite of absence of self-consciousness. There's unrestrained freedom emotionally, physically, inwardly, and outwardly. I'm going to tell you something, guys and ladies. When, when we will, particularly guys, when we will work to leave all competing relationships, we will be committed to this, this permanence in marriage, and we will work towards this oneness 
of working together, of living with our wives in an understanding way, if we will commit ourselves to do that, then that opens up an environment for our spouses, our wives in particular, where they can begin to get to this place of feeling naked and ashamed, where they can open up. And as I describe that, I know within my heart there's ladies here and they're saying, yes. If I had a place where I, I knew I was the primary relationship after God, if, if, I, if I had a place that, that I knew he was committed to me and that he was working towards oneness with me, that would be a place where I could feel safe and I could begin to share and open up. And that's in God's blueprint for us. That's what he desires for us. You say, Matt, well, that, that sounds great. That sounds, you may even make it sound easy. It's not easy. Well, there's something went wrong. And yeah, there's something that did go wrong. It's called Genesis chapter 3. That's what went wrong. It's a thing called sin. And I want to tell you, in my young, short experience of being in ministry, everything I do in marital counseling comes back to one thing. Sin. I'm not saying there's not things you need to work on or skills you need to learn, but at the heart and root of it, it's sin. Due to sin, you'll see next, we'll we'll actually cover this next week, Adam and Eve, they begin to cover up things and hide things. And due to sin, I quote, intimacy often becomes frustrating struggle, a strange mixture of selfishness or also what this thing called creeping separateness. Because if sin gets its way into our marriages, we keep, we keep creeping away from each other. Embarrassment, dissatisfaction, and resentment take place because of sin. And worse, because of separation from God. That was the most painful thing for Adam and Eve, is that they were put out of the garden. And if God is left out of our marriages, they don't work. They don't work well. They don't come back to what he intended, his glory. So what is the key to God's glory and in restoring God's glory and displaying God's glory once again in marriage? I just want you to look at Genesis chapter chapter two, verse 20. It's hinted at in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, but we don't have time to go there today. But it's clearly explained throughout the whole Bible and succinctly put here in Genesis 2:20. And it's to live out marriage as God designed it. It takes this. It takes this realization that I have been crucified with Christ. That is, Christ has died on the cross for my sins. He took care of that, that, that sin for me. And He's given me new life. It is no longer I who live. Get this. It's not about me trying to carry these things and these blueprints out. It's no longer about me, but it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's the wonderful thing about the new covenant. That Christ, through his Holy Spirit, has come to reside in us. And so the thought that you must might have thought, there's no way I can live out these blueprints. But guess what? God is in you to enable you to begin to live out these, this design. It's through my new, now, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh that I'm still here in the flesh of things I battle with. What I must do is I must live by faith in the son of God. I must trust his word and what he says. And I must depend upon his Holy Spirit to enable me and empower me to begin to live out the design that he has called me to. 
That's the key. And I want you to just quickly look with me at Galatians chapter five. And I want to give you a quick glimpse of this. It can work. It says in Galatians five, verse 16, it says this. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That is, if you learn to live in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, if you learn to walk in the Holy Spirit, it says you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And then what are what are the deeds of the flesh? Verse 19. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are and it names some. But here's ones that I think describe some marriages today. Enmities. Strife. Jealousy. Outburst of anger. Disputes. Dissensions. Factions. Does that describe marriages? But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, God has given us the blueprints necessary to live out marriage as he designed. And he's given us the resources, the empowerment, the skill comes through the Holy Spirit living in us and growing us in his word and empowering us to carry it out. And we, therefore, can once again display God's glory by depending upon his Holy Spirit to partner with our wives and to love our wives well. Amen. Not long after I got here, I, I remember a couple coming. Actually, I don't remember a couple. It was a, it was a spouse who came, called me, came to my office and described just a, a very heart-wrenching situation. The situation was uh, basically uh, her husband was on his way out. There was great strain amongst the, the marriage. Um, he decided that he was no longer going to live at, at home. And so he moved out. This particular woman had this, uh, I was very much encouraged by her. She was determined to keep her commitment. And so in that office today, there was not a whole lot I could give her other than uh, to pray. And so we began to pray. I went and I eventually met with this guy. And uh, I, st- I have to ask him someday, but I still think to this day that he had a phone call planted. Because I remember going, I met at Starbucks, and I'm sitting down there talking with him, and we're talking, and it's one of the, you ever had those conversations where you're like, you're talking to the wall? It was one of those, okay? And in the middle of it comes a, con- a phone call, and he's got to go. I thought, man, there's, there's, man, this is, this is, there's no hope for this. But this spouse continued to, we're praying, and I would pray with her, and I would pray with her on the phone, and do these different things, and, and over time, we began to see God work. And the Holy Spirit got a hold of this guy. He got a hold of him so much, he came to the realization that not only did he repent from his actions, but he needed to repent and put his faith and trust in Christ. And I did. I watched that happen. He put his trust in Christ. And, and then his life began to change. And he turned to the word of not just reading it and hearing it, but actually saying, I'm going to take it. And I'm going to apply it in my life. And I'm going to live it out. And then several months later from that, I had one of the highest privileges. And I, I always have to think back when I think of how long my list is of, of marriages I'm praying for. God has given me this as a landmark to look back because several months later, they asked me to do the renewal of their vows. And I walked right down through these four things with them again that we talked about here. And it was a joy 
to see God glorified as a marriage that was destroying and being destructed was renewed and recreated in Christ to glorify and magnify and represent God to a watching world. And God wants to do that in our marriages too. He wants to take our marriages, heal them where they need healing, grow them where they need growing. And he wants to magnify himself and glorify himself. Dear God, we, we come. We come to you this morning as a humble, frail, a people who are apt to fail. Lord, you give us this design and there's no way we can live it out on our own. Matter of fact, if we were in the garden, we would have done the same thing Adam and Eve have. So, Lord, we come this morning. And, Lord, I pray that you will help us to be repentant in the areas where we need to be repentant. Lord, help us to turn from our sin and our selfishness and turn to you, God. Maybe it's to put faith in Christ this morning as their Savior. Maybe it is to repent from the ways that we've been behaving in our marriage and to turn to you and to trust you for what you say about marriage and to trust and depend upon your Holy Spirit to empower us. There is no doubt that there's hurting marriages here this morning. Lord, don't let them go out of here unchanged. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will grab a hold of them right where they're at. And Lord, no matter how hard or difficult it looks, may they trust you. May they just lean on you and begin to do what you call them to do in the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, that you even leave the changing of their spouse. You leave that up to you too, God. And Lord, I pray that you will work in a mighty way where you will take these, these marriages that you restore and these marriages that you continue to grow. And you will magnify and you will show your glory in great and awesome ways, Lord. Lord, we give you praise. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Tell you what, was that not outstanding and what we all need? God fully intends to glorify himself through his people.